welcome to Grace Community Church. If you, no one knows me, my name is Sam Ferris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Grace, and my wife is the children's ministry director here. So we're just so blessed to be in this, in this church and this family. But glad you're here with us today. We're finishing up our series in Judges. I cannot be the only one glad that we're getting out of Judges. I've learned so much from Judges, but I've never felt so judged in all my life as going through Judges. And nothing, just it really hits home today, and, and I'm, I hope you have your steel-toed boots on this morning, because my feet are flat today, going over and reading God's Word and preparing for this message. It's not an easy one. Um, I tried to, to make it comical and joke around it, but there is no way to, to lighten this. There's no way to sugarcoat any of this. We're going to be in chapters 20. I mean, 19 through 21, we're going to be finishing up today, and we thought Leviticus was hard, uh, but Judges has been really challenging, and it's going to get challenging today. Um, but a few announcements, and then we're going to pray. Remember, we're going on a trip to Israel. If you want to sign up for the trip to Israel, I think in the end of May or beginning of May, I should say, there's information out there in the, in the lobby on the desk, so grab that packet, and it'll tell you all the details about the trip. So excited about that. There's a great opportunity. But let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for being in our presence today. Lord, we already feel your spirit moving in this room, moving in this place. Lord, we just welcome you to open up our hearts and open up our ears and our, our eyes to your word and, and what you have to say to us today. Lord, just speak through me. Lord, you, you prepared this word. And if there's just one person, just one that needs here today, Lord, I pray that they're in this room. Lord, we just thank you for the, the things that in the Bible that are in your word that, that lifts us up. We, we thank you for the words that give us encouragement, but we also thank you for the hard parts. We thank you for the, the dark parts of the Bible because we can learn just as much, if not more, from those, even though they're painful, even though they're something that we really don't want to look over and read over. We want to skip over it, but there's a message to be learned in it. And Lord, just open up our hearts today. Lord, just thank you for being here. If there's anyone listening online or, or watching her, Lord, just speak to them today. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory for it all. In your name we pray. Amen. So the title of today's sermon is The Final Meltdown in Judges. The Final Meltdown. Do, do uh, I hope there's no younger kids in here. I know I'll have some second service, but now would be a good time to uh, find the children's department and, and head that way. But do I, have any, do I have any shooters in here? Now, you don't have to hunt. Just if you like to target, shoot. And it's okay. You can raise your hands. We're in Tennessee. Just, just put your hand up. Okay. <laughs> We all like to shoot at targets. Not all of us can hit targets, but that's okay. Not the point. But uh, Carson's poppy got him a, a BB gun not too long ago, and it's not just a regular BB gun. It's a fully automatic BB gun. It's really, really, really neat. And so we've been working on him and, and gun safety and all that stuff, and we started out with the BB gun, and he's doing fantastic with it. And, and he was like, well, this is heavier than I thought it would be. And I told him, just look down the barrel and aim. Aim at your target. You gotta look at your target. Keep your eye on your target. 
Well, he would shoot once and it would be fine, but then he would move it just a small, just a small degree, but uh, small movements, and he was spraying BBs everywhere. And he's, it's so heavy. I'm like, you'll get used to it. Just got to keep aim. Got to keep steady and keep aim. And that's the same way when, like, you're sighting in your rifle. You can be sighted in at 100 yards and be off just an inch. I go, oh, that's good enough. But if you stretch that thing out for 300 yards, that same inch, you can miss the target completely. And that's what the people of Israel were doing. Sometimes it felt just like small things, yet over time, it was, they, were, they were so far gone. They were, they were so far off. Their aim was so far off target. They weren't even close to hitting their target. Even though they tried and they cried out to God, they were still missing the target over and over again. See, there's no small sin or big sin. There's, there's none of that. It's all sin, but they all have consequences. Sometimes those consequences can be small. Sometimes they can be huge. And sometimes those consequences get larger and larger and larger the further off you go if it's not taken care of. And that's what we're going to learn about. We're going to see a Levite. and We're going to see a concubine. We're going to see an old man. We're going to see all kinds of characters in this Bible lesson today, inside the sermon that... It started off as something maybe kind of small, but it, it had huge consequences. What just turned off, started off as just a, a few degrees, just a small movement, turned into missing the target altogether. So the first point that I want to lead off with today is God was not their king. And so we know this all through Judges. We've heard this verse over and over again, that God was not their king, that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. I'll just do what I think is right. I'll do what's right for me. And, and Joe can do what's right for him. And Michael can do what's right for him. And right, what, so on and so forth. Everything falls apart. Everything falls apart when we walk away from him. The further you get away from him, the further you get away from his spirit, the further you get away from his word, the worse it gets. The worse it gets. This is how it starts. We, we create God in our own image. We, we have those idols in our life. And see, that little G-God that we put in our lives, whatever that may be, that little G-God will never tell us no. It'll never tell us that we can't do something. It'll never tell us that we can't say something. It's like, just do what you think is best for you. Do what is right in your own eyes. And if we do that long enough, we're going to be so far off target, we won't even be able to see it. So we're going to start off in chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. And I want you guys to notice that all these people in this chapter were unnamed. They were unnamed. Why? God doesn't want us to know what their names are. It could have been any of them. It could be any of us. So I think that's why they're unnamed. Verse 1, it says, Now in those days Israel had no king. There was a man from the tribe of Levi living in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim. One day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. But she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. After about four months, her husband set out for Bethlehem to speak personally to her and persuade her to come back. He took with him a servant and a pair of donkeys. When he had arrived at her father's house, her father saw him and welcomed him. Didn't see that one coming. But this unnamed Levite tribe of Levi should have been a priest or could have been a priest see but he was doing what he thought was right in his own eyes 
But see, everything was about to fall apart in his life because he did what was right in his own eyes. He should have been back at the tabernacle doing the Lord's work. But he's sojourning. He's, he's moving when he shouldn't be moving. He is unfaithful to his wife. Not only is he unfaithful to his wife, but he also takes a concubine, which it's sad to say was pretty common back then. And a concubine was basically a wife that was, it was a lawful wife, but it wasn't a wife that, like, will you marry me, darling? It was like, no, you're coming with me. And it, she was basically a sex slave. She was someone that would further on the family line. She would help out in the family household. She had no other rights. So he took in a concubine. And this concubine's like, I'm being mistreated. I'm going back to my father's house. I'm leaving you. And for four months, he missed her so much. And he said, oh, I miss you, baby. Let's go. I got to go home and get you. So he gets to her father's house. And I didn't really see this coming, but the father welcomes him in with open arms. But I want to ask you something. Guys, men, how are you treating the women in your life? Are you treating them like property? Because if you do, you're treating them like a concubine. Are you sleeping around with, with your spouse? Guys, are you sleeping around with your girlfriends and not marrying them? Just one picture can make all the difference. If you are, you're treating her like a concubine. So what's your view of women? Are they just objects for your pleasure? That's what the Levite was doing. That was all this woman or this young girl was to him. She was just an object. He missed his object. He didn't miss his wife because he loved her. He missed his object because he thought he knew what was right in his own eyes. But it's about to get real. It's about to get painful. In verses 4 through 15, I'm not going to read them all, but the, the father-in-law, just, he just wants to keep this Levite at this house for some reason. You know, he's being over-hospitable. I, I don't know. They, it's kind of like this weekend. You know, we start out with Thursday football games, and he's like, watch Thursday night games, and Friday rolls around. I've got to go. No, there's games on today, too. There's game, let's watch all of them. He's like, okay, but I've got to go the next day. And he's, so Saturday rolls around. No, there's games all day Saturday. It's fantastic. And so this goes on for five days. He's like, no, I finally, I've got to go. We have to get moving. And so they get moving. Because they got a late start, because the football marathon was going on, it was dark when they arrived at a town called Gibeah. A town called Gibeah. And this town in Gibeah that they were going to, they, they could have stopped at other towns, but the Levite knew that that was not Israelite towns. That was that was probably somewhere that was not safe. So they kept going and kept going and it was dark when they got to Gibeah. And it should have been a place of safety. It should have been a good place for them to stop. These people should have been hospitable. They should have got to the town square and when they got there that someone should have took them in right away. That was Hospitality was a big thing. This should have gave him red flags when they got to this courtyard, when they got to, to the town square no one was going to take them in. So they're going to sleep right there in the town square. Should have been red flags. But then 
an old man came along that wasn't even from the tribe of Benjamin. It wasn't even an Israelite. And said, come, stay with me. I'll, I will take you in. Bring all your stuff and I will take you and your, your party in. He didn't even have to. He wasn't even an Israelite. This should have been another red flag. But I will take you in. And they got this late start. So this is a town that should have been safe. This should have been safe. This should have been part of God's country. This should have been God's town. And the next verses that I'm going to read are probably some of the most dark, demented, I don't shameful, horrifying. I don't just put any word in there that you want to in the entire Bible. I can't think of any, and I, I don't remember any, so brace yourselves. And again, everything in the Bible is true. Everything in the Bible happened, and it happened for a reason, even if we don't understand it. But remember, everyone was going to do what was right in their own eyes. So if I was going to do what was right in my own eyes, I would skip right over this, and we'd start with the book of Ruth today. They'd have to figure it out later on. But that's not what God wants. So here we go. And I want to I I start out with, I want to apologize to anyone out there that may have went through anything remotely. I can't imagine. And I'm not even going to try to. I'm just going to apologize. So if you get up and leave, I understand. Verses 22 through 26. And again, the old man's taking them in, and they're eating and drinking and being merry and having a good time. Everything's going good, getting to know each other. Verse 22 says, while they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. Again, it should have been a safe haven. They began beating at the door and shouting at the old man, bring out the man who is staying with you so we can have sex with him. King James Version says to know him, and that just not means like, hey, I want to introduce myself to you. That's the Adam and Eve type of no. It's intimate. They wanted to have sex with him, and this beating down the door, this was not a polite knock. They were, they were throwing themselves into the door, throwing themselves in the door. Give us the man that you took in. Bring him out. And you would think that these two men and a servant would be strong enough and brave enough to do the right thing or what we would, might think would be the right thing and not be cowards. But listen to what happens. The old man stopped, stepped outside to talk to them. No, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing. For this man is a guest in my house and such a thing would be shameful. You're an Israelite, you should know that. I'm a foreigner and I know that. Here, take my virgin daughter. And this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you, and you can abuse them and do whatever you like. But don't do such a shameful thing to this man. Get a picture of how they thought about their daughters, their wives, the women in their lives. Don't do a shameful thing to this man, but you can have these two girls. Verse 25, but they wouldn't listen to him. So the Levite took hold of his concubine, 
You know, he was Mr. for four months, right? I'm going to go make amends. I got to get my sweetheart back. But he took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door. The man of the town abused her all night. Taking turns raping her until the morning. Finally at dawn they let her go. At daybreak the woman returned to the house where her husband was staying. She collapsed at the door of the house and lay there till it was light. You thought I was joking. Men doing what was right in their own eyes led to a night of horror for this young girl. I can't even say woman because more than likely it was a young teenage girl that was his concubine. It was a young teenage girl that he pushed out the door to save his own skin. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. The Levite and the old man had a good night's rest. They slept all through the night. No concern, no care. As one of God's children, a young girl was being violated in the most vile, inhumane, shameful ways. You should be sickened by this. You should be so angry. It should make you sad. Slevite was, was, should have been a priest. Could have been a priest. He should have protected her. Yet he sacrificed her to save himself because God wasn't his king. He was doing whatever was right in his own eyes. And what was right for, in his own eyes at that time was to save his own skin. Instead of walking toward God, he was walking away from him. And the further that they walked away from God, the further off mark they were getting. And this was so far off target, I can't even explain it. He should have protected her. But he sacrificed himself. So parents, how are we protecting our daughters? How are we protecting our children? Guys, how how are we treating our, our wives and our girlfriends? Are we honoring them by the way we treat them? The what we are teaching them, what we're showing them, what we're letting them look at. Because one little picture can mean a huge difference in the long run. What they watch, what they see, what they hear. Are we honoring them? Are we, are we, are we teaching them to just be safe? Or are we teaching them wait till marriage before you have sex? Are we, are we teaching them those things? Because if we're not, we're just throwing them to the wolves. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We're throwing them to the wolves. We might just be pushing them out the door. But you can't read these verses and not think of Sodom. Back in Genesis 19. Israel has fallen so far that they're no better off than Sodom. This was an Israelite town that this was happening in. This should have not, never have happened. This was a glimpse of hell on earth. And that's what we have without Jesus is hell on earth. And that's what we have. And this is still happening today. This is not just an Israelite thing. This is not just a Gibeah thing. This is a today thing. That everyone, that our world is doing what is right in their own eyes. That's okay. This is okay. That's okay. Just do what you think is best for you. It all leads to destruction. And it gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. 
Verses 27 through 30. Think, how could it get worse? When her husband opened the door to leave, after he woke up and had his coffee and breakfast, there lay his concubine with her hands on the threshold. Listen to the compassion in his voice. Get up, let's go. We have to get moving. But there was no answer. So he put her body on his donkey and took her home. When he got home, he took a knife and cut his concubine's body into 12 pieces. Can't make this stuff up. Then he sent one piece to each tribe throughout all the territory of Israel. Everyone who saw it said such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since we left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? Who's going to speak up? It's led to destruction. He divides his wife. He divides this young girl into 12 pieces. So not only is he carrying around her dead body, but when he gets home, he he mutilates her. He cuts her into pieces and sends her out to the other tribes of Israel. It's like an animal. Now think about it for a second. What makes us different than animals? God created us in his own image, but man was created from the dust and so was animals, right? What makes us different? That God breathed into us. That God breathed in Adam. Adam has God's Holy Spirit. He has his breath. Animals don't. You're, you have his Holy Spirit living in you. That's what separates us from animals. So without his Holy Spirit, without God breathing our lives, without him being our king, we're no different than animals. We're all capable of this. Maybe not to this degree, but we're all capable of it. Without the Holy Spirit, we're all animals. His spirit is what makes us know right from wrong. In Timothy 4.2, it tells us without his spirit, our consciousness, our heart, and our minds, they're dead. That they're seared so that they can't feel. We become numb. When we, we, we're not following God as our king, when we're doing everything right in our own eyes, we become numb to what is right because we're not trusting in God. So we have to let his spirit guide us. Let it, let it search our hearts. Because without his spirit, we're just dry bones rattling around. In Romans 1, 21 through 25, Paul tells us like this. He says, yes, they knew God. But they w- wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Slevite was dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things in their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things of God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. They were their own gods. They had no king. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. 
See, when our lamps, when his spirit goes out, we have darkness. This Levite was living in darkness. The people of Gibeah were living in total darkness, just like they were in Sodom. In this darkness, when your lamp goes out, when you walk away from the Holy Spirit, when you walk away from God, you have darkness. You have confusion. You begin to do what is right in your own eyes. This leads to confusion of how we treat the women in our lives. This, this leads to confusion about how we deal with sexual desires, how we, how we deal with our bodies, how we deal with temptation. This is why there's child molestations. That's why there's rape. That's why there's porn addictions. That's why we go on and on. That's why there was confusion, not just about homosexuality, but why we went from two genders to ten overnight. There's, con- there's confusion of whether there's even gender at all. There's confusion because we're living in darkness. We're doing our own thing. It's not just in Gibeah. This is today. This is 2022. See, without the Holy Spirit guiding us, without his spirit leading us, we're doing our own thing, and it leads to darkness. We're just animals wandering around in the dark doing what we think is right. The Levite was wandering around in the dark doing his own thing. The old man was wandering around the dark. He thought he was doing the right thing until he, hey, take my young daughter. The worthless fellows, that the Bible says were worthless fellows. I don't want to be called that. They were wandering around the dark. They were doing their own thing. We're going to see in the final two chapters of Judges that the entire nation of Israel was wandering around in the dark, doing what was right in their own eyes. They were so far off target. They were so far off target. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. It says, Then all the Israelites were united as one. They were all united as one man, from Dan to the north to Beersheba in the south, including those across the Jordan in the land of Gilead. So it takes this act, it takes this dark time, it takes this act to get the people to finally come together. Isn't it that weird that we're kind of the same way, that we're not together as a whole and one-minded until something horrible happens? And then we're all in agreement? But when that's not going on, we're just doing what's right in our own eyes. The entire community assembled in the presence of the Lord in Mizpah. The leaders of all the people and all the tribes of Israel, 400,000 warriors armed with swords, took their positions in the assembly of the people of God. Word soon reached to the land of Benjamin that the other tribes had gone up to Mizpah. The Israelites then asked how this terrible crime had happened. <laughs> the Levite, the husband of the woman who had been murdered, said, My concubine and I came to spend a night at the t- in, in Gibeah a town that belongs to the people of Benjamin. See, he's already blaming. He's already blaming. We went to Benjamin. We went to Gibeah. It should have been safe. That night, some of the leading citizens of Gibeah. And see, these weren't just worthless fellows. These were, these were the town leaders. These were the town leaders that done this horrible act. They surrounded the house, planning to kill me, And they raped my concubine until she was dead. So I cut her body into 12 pieces and sent the pieces throughout the territory assigned to Israel. For these men have created a terrible 
and shameful crime. Now then, all of you, the entire community of Israel, must decide here and now what should be done about this. And all the people rose to their feet in unison and declared, none of us will return home. No, not even one of us. Instead, this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will draw lots to decide who will attack it. One-tenth of the men from each tribe will be chosen to supply the warriors with food, and the rest of us will take revenge on Gibeah of Benjamin for this shameful thing they have done in Israel. So all their Israelites were completely united, and they gathered together to attack the town. The Israelites sent messengers to the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What a terrible thing has been done among you. Give up those evil men those troublemakers from Gibeah, so we can execute them and purge Israel from this evil. They're giving them a chance. But the people of Benjamin would not listen. Instead, they came from their towns and gathered in Gibeah to fight the Israelites. And all 26,000 of their warriors, armed with swords, arrived in Gibeah to join the 700 elite troops. 700 were left-handed, You've heard that before. And each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing. Israel had 400,000 experienced soldiers armed with swords to their 26,000 and 700 elite sword-slinging marksmen. So the Levite did what was right in his own eyes, and he left out some important details in here, did he not? He was the one that gave her up. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we sometimes tell our own versions of ourselves to make ourselves not look as guilty, to make ourselves look better? The Levite was like, acting like all of us, that, that we're going to put our sin and our blame on others. He was pointing to the tribe of Benjamin. He was pointing to the worthy fellows. They did it. They did it. They killed her. He left out the part that he was the one that pushed her out. That he was the one that killed his wife. He left that part out to make himself look better. He was doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. And let's face it, Benjamin wouldn't, the tribe of Benjamin would not admit to their sin. Because of idolatry. Well, there's just a few men. We're not, we're, not, we're not taking the blame for this. So their idolatry and pride led them to civil war. The tribe of Benjamin had a choice. They could have just gave those worthless fellows over. But guess what? They're buddies with those worthless fellows. They were friends with them. They would rather fight their own people and die than admit to their sin than to admit what happened. And they chose to defend their little town because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They assembled their troops and their elite left-handed slinging special forces that their aim was true. They may be living in the dark, but their aim was true, so these were dangerous men. Verse 18 says, Before the battle, the Israelites went to Bethel and asked God. I want you to get this for a second. Which tribe should go first to attack the people of Benjamin? Which tribe should go first? Notice they didn't ask if they should fight. So they were just asking God to help them with what they've already decided to do in their own eyes. 
They didn't ask God, should I go or should we go? They said, God, who should go first? They'd already made up their mind. They were just asking God to help them with what they've already decided to do. And we see in the next few verses that the Israelites, thinking that God was on their side, lost the first battle. They lost 22,000 men. They lost 22,000 men. What? God, I thought you were on our side. I, I thought that we were doing the right thing. So they cry out to God to help again, and, and they go to another battle, and then they lose even more men. Because they were doing what was right to them, they lost 18,000 more men. So they're losing these battles to outnumbered nation. God was supposed to be on their side, so why were they losing? Why were they not victorious over one tribe? Why were they not victorious over a worthless fellow tribe I think it has to do with their heart their heart wasn't in it verses 19 through 25 I mean 26 through 28 I'm sorry it says then all the Israelites went up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord and fasted until evening They also brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites went up seeking direction from the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was in Bethel. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, and the grandson of Aaron was the priest. The Israelites asked the Lord, should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again, or should we stop? Then the Lord said, go. Tomorrow I will hand you over to them. See, finally, the Israelites, finally the people, they go to God with the right attitude. They go with the right heart. They worship him. They cry out to him. They weep. And the biggest thing they do is what? They repent. They realize that they're no better off, that they're no better than the Benjamites. They're no better than the men of Gibeah. They repent of their sins. They repent because they let this stuff go on. They knew this stuff was going on. The whole nation was guilty. Not just the tribe of Benjamin. And they cried out to God. They repented. They, they fasted. They, they gave him offerings. They cried out to him. They left it on the altar. And they were given a great victory. They were promised victory. Not because they deserved it, but because of God's grace. Because they repented. They got their heart right. Not because they deserved it. They got their heart right. They ask forgiveness. They're they're crushed. They're crushed so they could be built back up. Sometimes we in our own lives, we need God to crush us a little bit so he can build us back up. In our darkest, most painful times, when we feel crushed and abandoned, he's right there to build us up. That's his grace. But they turned from their sin, and they turned to God for their guidance. We have to do the same thing. See, no matter... How great your trouble. We have to turn from your sin and turn toward God. Turn away from the darkness and turn toward the light. Don't just ask God to bless your plans. Seek to discover his plan for your life. His plan. See, they were, they were seeking out their own plans. The Levite was seeking out his own plans. He would, they were doing what was right in their own eyes until they humbled themselves and they repented and they like, God, we're going to follow you. We're going to follow your lead. Then they were guaranteed victory. 
He has victory planned for your life if you'll just follow him. Seek his plans for your life. I read a story the day this blind lady, this, this man was jogging on his normal route, and this blind lady was jogging, and he could tell that this lady had, had jogged this path before, and she had a blind-seeing eye dog. And she was, she was just doing a little jogging trot down the sidewalk, and the dog nudged her once, and she said, stop, because she knew, she knew the way. So the dog goes a little bit further, and he kind of just gently nudges her on the leg again. She said, stop. And so she goes a little bit further until she runs into a car. And so she feels around, and as soon as she feels around, she realizes what the dog was trying to do. He was trying to gently nudge her out of the way so she would not run into that car, and she immediately knelt down and threw her arms around her dog's neck. And wept. And we do the same thing to God in our own lives. We're wandering around in the darkness trying to do our own thing, trying to do what we think is right. And we're wandering around in the dark, and God's trying to gently nudge us and gently nudge us. We're like, no, God, get away. We're not, not today. Not now. I'm doing my own thing. And when you're walking around the dark, you're running around the dark, and then bam, you hit a wall or you hit a car. He's going to let you be crushed every once in a while, and then. Then you're, oh God, I'm so sorry. I I should have realized that you were leading me somewhere. We want to kick and we want to do the opposite because we think we know better. The Levite thought he knew better. The Israelites thought they knew better. The old man thought that they knew better. The worthless fellows of Gibeah thought they knew better. When we're walking in darkness, we run into problem. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. All of your heart. That means when you're going through the darkness, when you're going through the good times, you trust with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. See, these the people of Israel and judges, they were depending on their own understanding of things. It was not ending well for them. Seek his will in all you do. All you do. Seek his will in all you do. Every aspect of your life. And he will show you which path to take. They were doing their own thing in battle. They were not doing what God wanted them to do. They weren't going to God with the right heart. He's going to show you the path to take. In these crazy times of Egypt and Israel and Gibeah, Turn to the Lord in his light. We think, oh, this is happily ever after, right? They, they win. The end, right? Nope. In Judges 21, Israel is in a mess again. Because they kind of went overboard with their killing spree. And they're ridding their nation of sin. They thought that was the only way to rid their nation of sin. It was to take everyone out. They took out too many. They went overboard and they killed too many men of Benjamin. They're like, oh, we, we can't, we killed off an entire tribe. We can't just be 11 tribes. We've got to have 12. What did we do? What did we do? Chapter 21, verse 3. Oh, Lord, God of Israel, they cried out, why has this happened to Israel? Why has this happened to us? 
Now one of our tribes are missing from Israel. What happened? What Israel happened to Israel. Israel happened to Israel. So what happened to us? We, we happened to us. You happened to you. I happened to me. So that's the thing about sin in our eyes. When we sin, our eyes take us places. Sometimes they'll take us places we don't want to go and then we realize, how, do, how did we get here? That's what sin does to us. We bring it on ourselves. And then we wonder what happened. So they're blaming God. They're blaming God. You're the, you're the one that told us to attack. Now we've got to fix it ourselves again. You would think they'd learn. So they come up with their own harebrained solution to this problem of tribe of Benjamin only having 600 men and just men. So if that tells you anything about who they killed and who they slaughtered along the way, hey, we've got a solution. I've got an idea. And they thought about it. Since no one came from Jabesh Gilead, since no one, one of those guys showed up to help us in war, we're just going to go take some of the 